Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman, and it is great to be back with our listeners after the holidays. So, Michelle, how was your time off? It was great. We had, you know, most of the kids were able to come in, and we had a wonderful time with them um, for Christmas. And then after Christmas, we went up for a few days and spent some time with my parents in Arkansas and uh, got back on New Year's Eve. And we just had just a wonderful time with friends and family over the holidays. So... How about you? How were your holidays? Well, really special. Uh, you know, not only did we spend time with all the different sides of our family, but our daughter came home from Japan. First time we've seen her and hugged her in two and a half years. And Aww. as we record this, she is in the air and on her way back. So we got to see her for two and a half weeks, and it was just amazing, as you can imagine. So that is very so thrilling. Oh, that's <laughs> yes. so great! I know y'all had some good catching up to do, and. And you enjoyed having your baby there. I mean, my babies are like, the farthest away my babies are is an hour away by car. So I can't imagine having her on another, having one of my kids on another continent. So I'm glad she was able to come home and all that. So Me too. (laughs) It is always just so great to to have fun, to see family and friends. But um, it can be kind of nice to get back to the regular routine too. And, and yeah. um, so as has become part of our regular routine, we want to thank some very kind listeners who have generously donated to A Word Fitly Spoken. Uh, yeah. Big, yeah. So we want to give big thank yous to Dawn and Lauren and Karen for your recent gifts through PayPal. Your gifts really help us and we definitely appreciate them. Yes. And one little reminder, if you're considering donating through PayPal, like like these lovely ladies did, when you go through the steps of donating at PayPal, there's a part where it'll ask you, what is this payment for? Always be sure you're choosing sending to a friend, not the option that says paying for an item or service. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you choose paying for an item or service, PayPal deducts a fee from your gift, and we won't get the full amount that you intended to give us. So, And sending to a friend doesn't charge a fee. So just keep in mind that we're your friends, and you don't have to pay for <laughs> yes. our services. So choose sending to a friend. And then we also want to give a shout out to all our monthly Patreon donors, including our new donors, Miyoshi, Kate, and Leslie. So thank hey. you so much for your generosity and your continued commitment to support us. Yes, thank you so much. Well, tonight we've got another interesting episode of Glad You Asked uh, for you. And Glad You Asked is a chance for you to ask us questions about where we stand on theological issues. And our prayer is that you get the idea that we believe the Bible, what God's true breathed out word says, always trumps any opinions that we might have. So a couple of weeks ago on our social media pages, we asked you to send in your questions and you sent us some really good ones. So if you don't hear your question in this episode, we'll be saving the ones we did not get to for a future episode. Uh, It was really hard to pick, Michelle, uh, but we're going to get to as many as we can tonight. So let's get started. Here is our first question. Now, this one came to us from an Instagram user in a private message to us. So we're just going to call her anonymous. And she asks, how should a Christian wife respond when her husband abandons her? 
I am currently in that situation where my husband left our home four months ago and refuses to speak to me. I am a believer, and he has never genuinely converted to Christ. He only attended church with me here and there. I have done everything I possibly can to reach out to him to restore our marriage. I'm willing to forgive his abandonment. I've apologized to him for any offense I may have unwillingly committed against him, but he has completely cut me off and is 100% silent and indifferent towards me. And the worst part is that I have no idea why, because he refuses to speak to me. Wow. Well, she goes on to say, I don't want to divorce, but at this point, it seems I have no other choice because my husband has become invisible. He is literally not present in any sort of way. I'm deeply suffering because of this, and I don't know what direction to take anymore. What biblical advice can you give me? Is divorce biblically permitted for a situation like this? Well, my goodness, thank you, Anonymous. Uh, this has got to be incredibly painful. I, I I can't even imagine. And I will say that I have known personally of several cases where church-going men have suddenly abandoned their families, and the wives are left with so many questions with no answers. Uh, one case in particular in my church is where uh, the man who left was actually one-on-one -on -one discipling other men, including my own husband. Now, this happened at a church uh, that we used to go to a few years ago. Your husband, you say, was not really involved in church, yet he, I have to think, knows deep down how utterly wrong his actions are. His choice was to leave, and his choice was to stop all communications with you. So this is really not on you, nor is this anything that you can fix. And I'm so glad that you asked how to handle this biblically and what scripture has to say, because that's where we need to go. Um, first of all, I would say in your pain, as you probably already know, the wisest thing that you can do is also the most comforting, and that is to draw tight to Jesus. Go to the Lord in prayer always. Seek his comfort first. It's really, you know, it's good to seek the advice of other believers for sure, but not first. This is you and God on this journey together, and he will carry you through this. We we have to believe in that. God first Everyone else needs to come second. And as far as reaching out to your husband, well, you've done that, right? And he knows how you feel and how bewildered and hurt he's made you to feel. So let that rest for now. Through prayer, of course, put this man in God's hands. And do pray for him as he is really in an eternally precarious place right now. So what does the Bible say about abandonment? Well, from the very beginning, the only thing in creation that God pronounced not good was man's aloneness, and that was in uh, Genesis 2.18. And so woman was created, and the marriage relationship was founded so that the two would become one flesh. It is a covenant relationship, and Paul describes marriage as a type of Christ's relationship with his church. Jesus's view of the permanence of marriage is made clear in Matthew 5, where he says that the only possible justification for divorce is adultery. Now, if you go over to First um, Corinthians chapter 7, here's what Paul has to say. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. To the rest I say, and it's I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. 
If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So what Paul is saying here is that in the case of a believer married to an unbeliever, if the unbeliever chooses to leave the relationship, the believer is not under any obligation to insist that the marriage continue. However, you know, we all know that marriage relationships broken by the most heinous of sins can be reconciled. Anonymous, you said that you do not want a divorce, so don't file right now. You don't have to act right now. You don't have to be the one to file if you do not want to. Just wait. Live faithfully unto the Lord. Seek his will and his timing. Um, that's my thoughts. Michelle, do you have any thoughts on this? Yes, I obviously agree with you on on everything that you've just said. That was such good counsel. And the only other thing that I would add is that uh, she said that she is in church. You know, she said her husband yes. doesn't go to church with her. So she is in church. And I would just say to her, um, if you are in a good doctrinally sound church, set up an appointment with your pastor and get some help because you shouldn't be trying to walk through this on your own. You shouldn't be trying to hide it. You need to reach out and get some help. And your pastor is the first and best place to start. Um, ask him if, you know, who he would recommend as a godly older sister in your church that you can go to, you know, that she can kind of help you uh, be there for you, disciple you and walk through this with you. Uh, he may, you know, I, we don't know what state you're in, so we don't know the laws in your state. Sometimes uh, it's my uh, understanding that in some states, you may have to, if uh, if your husband has gone for a certain amount of time, you may have to be the one to file for divorce to protect your children or to protect your finances or something like that. So your pastor can also be a good resource for that, for, you know, maybe talking to a Christian attorney and finding out what uh, what's going on legally in your situation. And, and we obviously don't want to try and offer you any um legal advice because we're not right. lawyers, you know, we don't play one on TV or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, that, that's what I would recommend is really go see your pastor and, and, uh, get some good counsel from him on that, on that too. So, all righty, here's our next question. This one is from Beth on Instagram and she asks, what is biblical femininity not, and she puts in parentheses, not biblical womanhood. And I thought this was a really interesting question because I don't think I've ever heard it asked before. Uh, let me just start by saying if there's some sort of quote biblical femininity movement or group or something like that out there or a, a book on biblical femininity, uh, it has not hit my radar yet and I am not familiar with it. So if you're asking about something like that, I don't know. But if you're asking, you know, just in general, what makes a godly woman feminine as distinct from how do I practice godliness as a woman? I think my answer is going to be this. Biblical femininity is going to be very individualistic in nature, whereas biblical womanhood is going to be walking out those uniform, across-the-board scriptural principles and commands that God gives to all women. 
And as you walk out those principles and commands that God gives to all women, that's going to inform and shape your personal brand, for lack of a better word, uh, of biblical femininity. I think the way that the world defines femininity is really backwards. Like the world looks at your appearance and the things that you do and says, that's feminine or that's not feminine. Like if you wear a lot of pink and ruffles and dresses, and if you have long hair and you wear, you know, appropriate makeup, if you like to cook and clean and sew, I mean, if you like to, if you go eek when you see a spider or a mouse or a bug, if you're soft and delicate and prone to faint, if you pander to men like, oh, little old me, I couldn't possibly pick up that toothpick. I need a big, strong man to do it for me. You know, that's <laughs> what the world says is feminine, the external trappings and behaviors that they can see and things like that. I think as Christians, we need to look at femininity as the outworking of a godly heart, you know, the out, outward outflow, overflow of that inward gentle and quiet spirit that first Peter three talks about. If you're getting up every day and humbling yourself before the Lord, you're studying his word, you're communing with him in prayer, striving to please him, faithfully serving your church, being taught the word, fellowshipping with the saints, God is going to be conforming you to the image of Christ. He's going to be molding you into a godly woman. And whatever you put your hand to, you're just naturally going to do it in a womanly or feminine way because you're a godly woman. There are lost women out there who they can wear all the pink. They can spray on all the perfume. They can hold their pinkies up when they drink tea. They can sashay across a room and have their fainting couches always at the ready. And they're not going to be as feminine as a truly godly woman who can put on camo and grab her shotgun and go sit in a deer stand for hours, peeing in the woods, mind you, and shoot and field dress a 10-point buck. You know, you can gut that majestic deer to the glory of God in a totally feminine way because femininity comes from who you are in Christ as a godly woman, not from what you do externally. Amy, any thoughts on that? <laughs> I'm laughing. I, you know, being from the deer hunting capital of the world, I think we are anyway. We would claim that up here in Wisconsin. I really appreciate your summation of that answer, even though <laughs> I've never field dressed a deer. Um, but I bet I could do that in total femininity, as you described. In fact, we even have <laughs> our, our farm and fleet or fleet farms up here even carry pink camo. So, you know, we could there totally do that. <laughs> um, I have dispatched and prepared several roosters for the stock pot and or freezer and uh, I do this as a woman of God not as uh, a person of any doodly fashion doodly <laughs> not doodly doodly okay <laughs> having said all that next question <clears throat> um, we're gonna go to Michelle not Michelle Leslie but Michelle on Instagram and she writes this. She writes, Hi, I am a newer Christian. I did not grow up in a Christian home, and so I am learning the word now. I've only studied four books in the Bible in entirety uh, so far, but it takes me a long time to learn and remember things. I am working diligently on my own sanctification, and I go to a biblically sound church. Okay, I'm going to pause here. I'm glad you go to a biblically sound church. Just want to remind you, Michelle, who is it that does the sanctification? 
terrifying? Yep, that would be the Holy Spirit. So be patient and obedient, and I guarantee he will do his work. So let's continue, Michelle, with your question. She writes, my husband is not saved and does not lead us. I have two nine-year-old kids. As a newer believer who is learning myself, I struggle with a good Bible study to do with them. We do catechism, which I love for them every night, and we started studying Genesis and going verse by verse with that, but I haven't done Genesis myself, so I struggled with it. My question is, what did you do with your kids around this age, if you can remember, or that you would do differently? Any suggestions you have to help me train them in the way they should go would be greatly appreciated." Great question, Michelle. Thank you so much for asking these. Um, I was kind of in your shoes back then. I was also a newer Christian who didn't know much at all about my Bible when our two kids were very young. And right now, my friend, you are in what we would call maybe the fire hose stage, meaning that you are absorbing so much new information about God and his word uh, that it is very much like trying to sip from a fire hose. Impossible. But you know what? This is good. And it's an exciting time in your journey. So uh, so we're thrilled for you. And yes, even though your husband is not a believer right now, you are being obedient in teaching your children what you're learning. So um, never with them be embarrassed embarrassed or apologize for not knowing all the answers as you're teaching them. You know, just be honest with them and, and let the text do all the heavy lifting. Um, a couple of resources for you, uh, since you're in the beginning of your journey, uh, that you can have your children use. Um, and I would encourage you to have them look for answers as they're asking questions, and then even have them read the answers from Scripture. Um, but some of the external things, uh, gotquestions.org is a great site. Uh, you can keep that bookmarked on your home computer. And as they have questions, we can go there in the search bar and have them, uh, you know, they're nine years old, have them seek the answers in that search bar. And uh, then read. you could read the answers together. And I, I love that site because the Bible links uh, that you have in those short and simple articles are great. You can just scroll over them and uh, those Bible verses will pop right up in a pop-up window. It's, it's wonderful and they can read those separately. Um, another good site since you're in Genesis is Answers in Genesis. That is really a wonderful site, and they've got apps too for you uh, for all things creation and some excellent resources for answering common questions about the Bible. In fact, they've got a really good um, children's literature bookstore. So when I'm whenever I'm at a, a uh, Answers in Genesis conference, I always go to the bookstore and look for the kids stuff because we've got kids in our family that uh, I can either read to them or. Um, give these away. And then, of course, you're going to want to teach them to pray. You're going to lead them to pray for your family as you uh, all learn together. And then finally, show them what humble faithfulness looks like in practical everyday life at your house. That means you're going to let them watch your love for your husband. They're going to observe that. Um, your example of prayer and study time and how you handle everything from, you know, forgiving those little daily annoyances to maybe even some bigger issues, some sin issues. Um, you always want to admit when you fall short and apologize when you need to show them what grace looks like. What do you think, Michelle? You probably have, uh, as a homeschool mom, you probably have lots of resources. Well, I think your your ideas were great. And those, you know, the those sites that you uh, that you cited were uh, are really great 
uh, websites to go to. And Answers in Genesis particularly has a lot of stuff for kids, I believe, at their website and stuff you can use to teach them too. So that's a really good one. But I would just say, um, just take a deep breath and relax (laughs) and don't worry about this. Don't be anxious about this because scripture says to be anxious for nothing, but in all things to present your requests unto God. And so ask him to help you. Ask him to help you understand scripture. Ask him to help you to teach your children well and trust him that he will. Um, And and just remember too, you know, God is the one who decided when you were going to be saved. He's he's the one who is sanctifying you, like Amy said, and and teaching you all the things that you need to know uh, spiritually and, and helping you to understand the Bible. So um, you know, he gets it. He's he's not going to hold you responsible for something that is beyond uh, beyond your control, beyond his control, because it's not going to be beyond his control. Uh, and so you can you can really just relax and trust him to help you. Um, when my kids were little and yeah, we we homeschooled. And so what we would do is we would have a Bible time for about a half hour every morning before we started school. And Basically, all we did was pick a book and go through it. And we did, we read about a chapter a day. And I would just ask them questions as we went through the chapter. You know, why did so and so do that? You know, why did, why did David? Uh, sling that rock at Goliath. You know, what was he obeying God? Um, what, you know, what was Goliath doing that was wrong? Who were these other people that were over here? What were they doing? You know, just asking them yeah. simple comprehension questions. And I think what you'll find as you do that, at least I found this with, with my children, is that as you do that consistently, they're going to, and especially having them in church as well, that's another important thing, um, and Sunday school and all that, as you do that consistently, they are going to come up with some answers and some insight that is just going to wow you. You know, yes. you're going to you're going to think, where did they come up with that? How did they know that? <laughs> so it's it's really a great special time with your kids. And, and I would encourage you to just keep doing it. Just, keep, you know, Bible study. I always say Bible study is a skill just like any other skill. When you learn how to ride a bicycle, you're going to fall down a few times, but you keep at yeah. it. You keep practicing. You keep getting a feel for it. It, uh, for the balance, you know, and everything in your in your own skin and your own body when you're learning how to ride a bicycle. And it's exactly the same way when you're learning how to do Bible study. So like Amy said, just be honest with your kids and say, look, we're all learning this together. This is new for me too. I, you know, I, I'll try to have the best answers I can for you and strive to do your best, but don't agonize over this. It's really a very simple thing and uh, and trust the Lord to carry you through it and to teach you and to um, provide you with what you need. So that would that would be uh, my my agreement with Amy on everything that she said. All righty. Our next question is from Amanda on Instagram. She says, I'm a pastor's wife who has a deacon's wife and daughter who have blocked me on social media and won't speak to me at church. This stems from me asking why they hadn't been to church in over a year through COVID. I've tried to be kind, but at this point, I just avoid because it doesn't seem to do any good. Thoughts? Okay, so, you know, that's that's a big ouch, disharmony and animosity at church. Um, you know, I've certainly been there. I know Amy's been there. And, you know, we know how grievous and aggravating and stressful that can be. 
So let's, we're going to deal with several things here, but let's deal with these, these two ladies at your church first. There is no place for this kind of behavior in the church. None. You will not find any verse of the Bible that says that if a sister offends you, you just give her the silent treatment and be ugly to her and that'll show her, you know, no. What does scripture say? Well, first of all, if it was something that, you know, rubbed you the wrong way or somebody was having an an off day and hurt your feelings or something like that, something that's not, you know, especially clearly defined in scripture as sin, as a believer, you can, believe it or not, make the Holy Spirit empowered decision to not be offended. <gasps> you know, <laughs> I know that's hard to believe, but you really can decide not to be offended. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Wow. I'm going to read that again. That's just so good. Ooh, yes. Good sense... If you have good sense, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So have good sense, overlook an offense. It's like a little poem there that you can remember. So that's one thing you can do. You can just choose not to be offended. Now, if it was a sin by that, you know, that somebody did against you, then by that same empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you could you could choose to still treat that person in a loving way, despite how she treated you. Proverbs ten twelve says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. First Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, notice these verses say love covers sins and offenses. It doesn't say love covers up or ignores or doesn't work through issues of sins and offenses. Love covers means that you love the person who sinned sinned against you or offended you, and as far as you're able, you don't let that sin or offense make you bitter and unforgiving and destroy the relationship. You either genuinely let it go, if it was a small thing, or you love the person enough to deal with the issue in a godly way if it was a bigger thing, and you love her all the way through the process. And speaking of processes, that brings us to Matthew 18, 15. This is Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, is the process of church discipline. That most church discipline cases, if you'll just do the first verse of, of Matthew 18, 15 through 20, I think it is, a lot of church discipline verses uh, cases can be stopped right there. If you'll just do the first verse, and 18.15 says this, If your brother, or sister in this case, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And then also in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
You see that? That's love covering sin. Love wants to deal with it, forgive, get it out of the way, and reconcile. That's what we're to be about as the body of Christ. Love, reconciliation, peace, and unity. But we also have to remember that we are to, as Ephesians 4, 3 says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have to have this at the forefront of our hearts and also at the forefront of our minds when we relate to our brothers and sisters at church. It's not just the offendee who has a responsibility to reconcile. It's our responsibility to be eager to maintain unity by not being an offender. Okay, so Amanda, honey, because I love you and I'm concerned for love and reconciliation and peace and unity at your church and between you and these sisters, I need to talk to you for just a minute about your part in this. Now, you said these women won't speak to you at church, so I can only infer from that that after being out of church for a year, they have come back. Was it a violation of scripture for them to be out of church for so long? Okay, possibly. I don't know all the details. Was such a long absence for a deacon's family a poor example to the rest of the church? Probably. You know, again, I don't know all the details. But honey, when the prodigal son came home, the father didn't greet him with, where have you been for the last year? You know, in that moment, he just opened his arms, gave him a hug and said, I love you. I've missed you. And I'm so glad you're back. So the way you've presented the situation in your question, I think, and I say this in love, sweetheart, I think the way you approached it was a bit unwise. But secondly, I think the fact that you approached it at all was unwise. You said in your question that these ladies' behavior, quote, stems from me asking why they hadn't been to church in over a year through COVID. Now, maybe you're just being succinct in your question, and what you really did was to express concern for them and say how much you had missed them over the last year, but the way you presented it in your question, coupled with these ladies' extreme reaction, leads me to believe that what you said was more along the lines of demanding that they answer to you for their absence, or at least that's the way it came across to them, and that's the way it came across to me, too. Hun, Amanda, sweetheart, that's not your place. You're not the pastor. Your husband is. You're not an elder or a deacon or those ladies' husband or father or anyone else who holds any kind of authority over them. They don't answer to you. You're their sister. If there's a church discipline issue about their long absence, that's for your husband and or the elders to deal with with the husband and father of those ladies. As a deacon, he's supposed to be leading his family in a godly way, just as 1 Timothy 3 requires of him. If he hasn't doing that, if he hasn't been doing that, that needs to be dealt with, but not by you via his wife and daughter. And be glad about that. That's one of the blessings of God restricting the leadership and authority of the church to men. The responsibility for confronting stuff like that is totally off your shoulders. You don't have to deal with it. And that leaves you free to just love and disciple these ladies right where they are, which is your place and your responsibility. Amy, any additional thoughts on that? 
Well, I just want to say, Michelle, how um, just humbled I am by your your loving and wise counsel to Amanda. It's um, just so so um, much needed to be said and so perfect in the way uh, that you loved her. Um, and, and Amanda, Aww. I agree that the pastor, your husband, uh, will need to perhaps say a few words to find out where these ladies are at, because it doesn't really, you know, your uh, question didn't really say, um, and of course, welcome them back. Uh, privately, without you there, his wife, he can broach the awkward question about any conflicts they may have with you or anyone else at the church. Um, and again, it, it may be that they have a completely different perspective entirely than what you might be thinking. So it's going to be really important to learn what that is. And then he can be the one, like Michelle said, to ask what next steps they'd like to have happen in the interest of harmony and reconciliation. You know, he might say, well, would it be all right if my wife calls you tomorrow and we can talk about this? Or, uh, you know, can we set up some time and maybe have some coffee and just talk through your concerns? And then uh, your part, just like Michelle said, just be humble and kind toward them and forget about the social media blockages. Really, um, social media is not real. <laughs> it really isn't. It's uh, It can't replace real relationships. So social media is kind of one of those fantasy things that, uh, if you didn't have it, um, life would be a lot better. But just forget <laughs> about that. And don't demand that they reinstate you. They're under no obligation to do that. Maybe don't even mention social media at all. Instead, you might want to just warmly assure them that you're glad they're here and looking forward to getting to know them just a little bit better in the future. Whatever you do need to say to them to move forward, I think, is um, the best advice that I can answer. Uh, just, you know, in addition to all the wonderful things Michelle said. Um, so now we have a third question for me to ask. Uh, this comes to us from Nancy on our Facebook page. And she asks, if a church's worship team leads in songs from Bethel, that's Bethel Church in Redding, California, or Hillsong, uh, Hillsong United out of Australia, uh, is that grounds for looking for a different church? The church we've been considering seems to be very biblically sound, and the pastor is scripturally solid. We love his preaching, but the music, which is concert style with the woman as the featured leader, who, by the way, leads the congregation in prayer to open the service. Uh, it always kind of gets me churned up in my spirit. We're trying to decide if the music component can be overlooked for the sake of good expository teaching, which promotes our biblical knowledge and spiritual growth. Well, thank you, Nancy. That's a great question. It's one that uh, we are very familiar with. Um, so let's just kind of re recap here. You're seeking a new church, and you found one that looks promising as far as good preaching goes. And you have two issues. First, the music, and second, the woman in leadership. Uh, well, I can certainly understand your discomfort uh, over both of those things, and you are right to be concerned. Uh, I will just say this. When, when, a, when churches use music from Hillsong or Bethel or Elevation, uh, that's Stephen Furtick's church, these churches are false churches. And even if one or two songs have okay lyrics, you know, even Satan can quote scripture. So the fact that uh, the church has to pay for the music license and these false organizations do profit from licensing agreements 
and that people are in, in your congregation are consuming and maybe even seeking out other songs from these franchises because, well, your church just gave the stamp of approval, so it must be okay. Those are two very good reasons churches should steer clear of anything coming from what I'll call unclean sources. So if you really like this church, you're going to want to meet with the pastor and elders about your concerns about Hillsong and and the others. We have many helpful links in our show notes uh, for this episode. Uh, You can go there in the notes a little later on to help you with those conversations. Now, your other red flag is the woman who is leading worship and prayer from the pulpit. You need to find out before you commit to this church what the elders and the pastor believe and teach about 1 Timothy 2.12. Now, remember that verse says, and, and Paul is saying this to the churches, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. And again, we have a ton of written material and past podcasts where we've taken this verse and its clear interpretation. And we've got those in our notes today, so check those out. But uh, I will say, when the saints are gathered for a worship service, the ecclesia, the pulpit is a place of authority. So if she's leading in prayer to start the service, she does have authority in that situation. She's taken the pulpit, right? Now, some people are going to say that... Um, It isn't the case in leading a worship team for, you know, this to be any kind of violation. But remember, she's not just there to sing. In this role as worship leader, she is directing all the men, including those musicians, from the stage or whatever you call it, from the pulpit, wherever she's standing, during the gathering on Sunday morning. So yes, uh, you need to ask the question to the leadership there about what this church teaches. And if they say something like, well, that Bible verse is, you know, that was just a cultural thing that Paul mentioned for a certain people group in Corinth, and he didn't mean all churches, uh, which is false, or, well, you know, that teaching doesn't really apply to us today, or, hey, you know, we're not complementarian, we're egalitarian, well, then this is not the church for you. You're not going to change their minds. You're going to keep looking. And one more thing about keep looking, <laughs> uh, you're, you're going to hear, and even if you belonged to a church that suddenly started doing these things, um, if anybody says to you, well, you need to stay because you need to grow where you're planted or, you know, God brought you here, you can't just leave bologna sausage. You need to leave because the nowhere in scripture does it say grow where you're planted. That is just not true. Uh, and, and many of us have been there. I've been there. Michelle has been there. We are commanded in scripture to be fed by solid churches. Okay. We're not, we're, we're told to avoid and flee evil. And uh, so if you see a church that is violating scripture, yep, you, you need to get out of there. That's, that's my thoughts. Michelle, anything to add? I yeah, I completely agree. I would just I would just be uh, caution her to be careful and all of our listeners to be careful. Um, you know, you said don't grow where you're planted. Well, if you're in a church like that, you know, that's consistently violating scripture and they're yeah. not going to change and and everything, um, you're not growing there, you know. <laughs> so you can't grow where you're planted. But at the same time, I would also say don't be, you know, don't jump ship at the first sign of a problem. Um, Agreed. You know, sometimes yeah. God does put us in churches and, and reveals problems to us. And 
he has revealed that problem to us so that we can be a ca- either a catalyst for change or uh, don't take don't take what I'm fixing to say the wrong way but speak prophetically into the situation and I'm by that I mean speaking prophetically like Isaiah or Jeremiah and rebuking uh, God's people or God or the leadership at the church with God's word not you know one of these extra biblical words from the Lord or whatever but but from God's word uh that this is an issue and there there have been occasions I know Amy has heard this I've heard this too where a woman has has come to me or to her whatever and said this false doctrine thing or this false teacher thing is going on in my church what do I do and we say um you know here's how you need to go talk to your leadership and they'll go talk to the leadership and the leadership's eyes are open and they yes. they change their ways and they repent and they get that junk out of the church so and and so we need to have a heart of compassion like that cuz we didn't you know at one point i i haven't been discerning all my life you know i had i had to be told i had to be taught and so we all did you know and and believe it or not there are some pastors who they just need a little nudge you know to to open their eyes and to see uh, where they've been blind in a certain area. So uh, I want to echo what Amy said. I, I think in the in her question, she didn't say anything about we've gone to the pastor and talked to the pastor yet. But Amy was was saying that you need to do that. And I really want to echo that. You need to kindly, in love, probably led by your husband, um, sit down and meet with the pastor and say, look, we see these unbiblical things going wrong and here's what scripture says about it. And we're concerned about this. And, um, you know, hopefully give him that grace and mercy to that where he'll open his eyes and go, oh, I shouldn't have been doing this. I shouldn't have been allowing this and, and hopefully change. But, um, so don't, don't jump ship at, at the first sign of a problem. See if you can be a catalyst for change or at least, you know, before you leave, go talk to the pastor and explain what's what's going on from scripture and show him scripture because that needs to be a word from the Lord to him. Yeah. You know, he Exactly. You know, yeah, just like we see that so many times in scripture where uh someone who's sinning, maybe they they never repent, but one of God's prophets has gone to speak to them and say the Lord commands you to repent. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what the word of the Lord says. So we need to, you know, humbly and kindly, none of us are Isaiah, none of us are Jeremiah, but, you know, in that same principle, in that same spirit, uh, don't just pick up and leave without telling the the pastor or whoever's in charge, whatever, why you're leaving and, and that you're leaving because something unbiblical is going on, not just that somebody offended you or that, uh, you know, your preferences aren't being met or something like that. They need to know that godly people are walking out of their church because they're doing something unbiblical. So I would encourage you to, to do that. And, um, I think there was one other thing I was going to say, oh, you were talking about the, uh, Amy, you were talking about the things that a worship leader does. My, my husband was a minister of music for gosh, 
over over 20 years during our marriage. So I've seen the, and I was his assistant a lot of times because we were at a lot of small churches that didn't have music secretaries and things like that. So I was the music secretary. And so I've seen the sausage being made. I see what, <laughs> what uh, I've seen what ministers of music have to do. And it's not just that they're standing up there on Sunday mornings leading, but it's also that during the week, they're the ones picking out the music. They're the ones, you know, who have to have the theological knowledge and depth to choose music that is appropriate to go with the sermon and to that's not, you know, music from bad sources like you were talking about. And um, so they're really they're in charge of basically half the worship service. So it's not just somebody standing up there. And I know you didn't say this, um, Amy, but a lot of people think this. It's not just somebody that's standing up there and singing. It's not just somebody that's standing up there and waving his arms. Or I don't even know if <laughs> these worship <laughs> leaders, they don't even direct anymore. They just stand up there and sing like the concert or something. Uh, but anyway, so it's, it's not just some small thing. This is a pastoral role. And no woman should be serving in a pastoral role. So if you've got a woman serving as a minister of music or worship leader, I really don't like that term, but whatever you call it, she's in a pastoral role and she shouldn't be. So that was the only other thing I was going to add. I would just say, Michelle, too, that you and I must have been about a year and a half ago. We did a podcast uh, going back to, you know, talking to your pastors and elders. We did an entire podcast about uh, tips for being biblical about approaching your right. pastor and elders when there's a problem like this. And right. uh, and again, letting your husband take the lead or how to do that if you don't have a husband. And uh, so we're going to link that up in the show notes as well. I think it's really important. Important, uh, in the times that we're in that we need to be equipped to be able to do that. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that uh, podcast episode was based on an article that I wrote, I believe, and, or at least I've written a similar one to that. And unfortunately, and I think the title of my article is something like, how do I, it was a mailbag article, and it was like, how do I approach my leaders about the false teachers they're introducing into our church or something like that? And unfortunately, that is one of the most popular articles at my blog. It's and much I just, needed. Yes. It's, it's much needed, but I hate that it's the most, you know, one of the most popular ones because so many people are having that problem. So, but yeah, it's an important resource and we will get that for you in the show notes. Okay, here's our last question for the night. And this is from someone who sent us a DM on Instagram. So we're going to keep her anonymous. And she asked this, she says, I don't know if this is above your pay grade, but many things are, let me just tell you that. Uh, but she says, but you, re but you asked, she says, I was recently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I've been hospitalized twice in the past six weeks. Is this just sin? I feel so far from God right now. Let me just start by saying, hon, I am so sorry for the turmoil and the anxiety that I know you're probably going through right now. And I know that must be really hard. And I'd just like to start off my answer to your question by praying for you. And listeners, I'd like to ask you to join your hearts with mine and pray for this sister right now for just a minute, okay? All right. Lord, I pray that you would help this sweet sister in her time of trial. Draw her close to your side. Give her the peace that passes understanding that only comes through the shed blood of Christ. Give her clarity of thought and the strength to pursue the help that she needs. Help her to trust you to heal her heart and mind. 
And we pray these things for her through the precious name of Christ. Amen. Okay, let me let me explain part of your question for our listeners who might not understand. And let me start by saying I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and I did my master's work in marriage and family counseling. And I'm not saying that because I recommend secular psychology and counseling. In fact, my training in that field uniquely qualifies me to warn you away from it. But I'm saying that I'm credentialing myself because a diagnosis of BPD, borderline personality disorder, is a psychological diagnosis I'm familiar with because of my studies. So that's why I'm saying that. BPD is sort of a catch-all diagnosis for for people who are struggling mentally and emotionally uh, just in a variety of ways in their lives and relationships. It's, It's the diagnosis that you get when there's obviously something wrong, but it's not something as clear cut as clinical depression or schizophrenia or psychosis. There's, there's usually, you know, there's some depression, there's some anger, anxiety, social awkwardness, narcissism, acting out, self-harm, just a whole big mix of things like that. BPD is sort of the professional way of saying somebody's a basket case or somebody's headed for a nervous breakdown. So our sister, she asked, is this sin? And, hon, I'm not sure if you're asking if the hospitalization is a sin, if the BPD diagnosis is a sin, if the things that you did that led to the diagnosis were sinful, or if just this whole entire situation is a sin. So I I can't really answer that question. It's possible that some of the things that you did were sins that you need to repent of. It's also possible that you're a godly person who's striving to deal with some hard emotional issues in a godly way, and you just need some help with that. Um, But like I said, I don't know the details, so I can't really answer your question about that. And I don't want to try because I don't want to get it wrong and, and harm you in that way. So that leads me to the question, the part of your question that I can answer, um, whether helping you in this situation might be above our pay grade. And on that, you are circling the bullseye. (laughs) It's really more um, that it's not our place to help you and that there are better people than us that could help you. The people you need to be reaching out to for help are your pastor and your spiritually mature older sisters, preferably the ones at your church. They are there with you to help you walk through this for the long haul. And we're not. You know, they know you. We don't. They have the boots on the ground presence with you to hear and understand all the details, to pray with you, to encourage you. You know, they're the people you can call at 3 a.m. when you feel like you're not going to make it. We can't do any of that for you. And more importantly, it's not our place to try to do any of that for you. God's plan for each of us is the local church. When we need help, when we have a blessing to celebrate, whatever we're going through in life, God's plan is connection and communion with our church family. And we would be dishonoring his plan if we tried to circumvent that and put ourselves in the place of your pastor and your church family. And let me just take a little rabbit trail here. Let me just say to our other listeners, this is why you need the church. The Bible knows nothing of Lone Ranger Christians. You need the body of Christ and it needs 
you. Because oftentimes someone like this dear sister will come to me with a problem and I'll say, you've got to set up an appointment with your pastor and get some good counsel from him, good counsel from your sisters in Christ. And the person will say, well, I don't have a church. And then she's up a creek. What's she going to do? Where's she going to turn? And not only do you need the local church to turn to in times of trouble, but being a faithful member of a doctrinally sound church can help prevent certain troubles from happening in the first place because you're sitting under good preaching and teaching and you're growing in your obedience to the word. I mean, you know, hopefully being in a good church You'll learn, for example, not to shack up with your boyfriend, and that will prevent the troublesome situation of waking up one day to find yourself pregnant out of wedlock and abandoned by him. So the church can help prevent some troubles in addition to helping you deal with other troubles. If you're listening to this and you're not in a good church or you're in a lousy or unbiblical church, we've got a resource to help you find a good church. Go to the show notes for this episode and click on Searching for a New Church. Lots of great information, recommendations, church search engines, and other resources there to help you. So, okay, off the righteous rabbit trail and back to our sister. If you really want our help, here's what I want you to do. The first thing I want you, want to urge you to do is to go to our website, awordfitlyspoken.life, and click on the good news tab. And I want you to slowly and carefully work through and pray through all of the scriptures and materials there. Sometimes one of the reasons people can struggle is that they think they're Christians when they've actually never heard and responded in faith to and repentance to the biblical gospel. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for you, but let's err on the side of caution and start there. So go go to the good news tab and really work through that seriously and prayerfully. And then as you're doing that, assuming you're in a good, solid, doctrinally sound church, I want you to call your pastor, set up an appointment with him, and ask him for help. He should be able to counsel you, to point you in the right direction for any other help you may need, and to point you to some godly sisters in your church who can support and disciple you. And then he might also wish to refer you to a good, certified biblical counselor. Now, this is not the same thing as a, quote, Christian counselor or therapist who happens to be a Christian but uses secular psychology. A biblical counselor certified through ACBC, which is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, is someone who will help you see your problems biblically and work through applying scripture to them. So be sure you do those two things, work through the gospel at our website, and then go set up an appointment with your pastor. And then one final piece of advice, and this is really, really important, so be sure to hear me. Do not make any radical life or treatment changes until you've gotten some good biblical and medical help under your belt. Like if you're on antidepressants or any other kind of medication or medical treatment, do not quit that cold turkey. Hear me. Do not quit that cold turkey. Doing that can make you suicidal or possibly cause a psychotic break. Um, in the future, after you've gotten some help, you may someday come to the decision that you want to discontinue a medication or treatment, but you've got to wean off those things with help and under a doctor's supervision. So please don't neglect that part of, of my counsel there. Amy, is there anything you'd like to add to that? 
Well, of course, I love your answer, Michelle, and I don't have any kind of training in psychology or any kind of counseling, but I, I wanted to um, touch on what you said about discipleship and why that is so important, because we're all called to do that. So if you're able to ask a seasoned woman from your church or even another, you know, if you don't ha have anyone in your church, maybe somebody from the church down the street, another solid church, uh, that they can meet with you, um, not to be your dear Abby, but to help you in your uh, devotions and prayer. And we all need that, by the way. It's not just uh, some people, those people. It's it's all of us. We all need that. Um, I think you're going to find that that connection will lead you to your own personal growth in following Christ. And as your relationship grows with her, uh, you're going to be sharing your life with her and asking her for guidance about you know the daily struggles and, and trials you're going through. And you're going to ask about hers. You're, you're going to go through them together. Uh, but the main purpose for discipling relationships is for you to gain biblical wisdom as God molds you into the image of his son and gives you the supernatural peace and strength to rely on him every day. And you'll find eventually that your self-identity will begin to change from uh, someone who suffers with a personality disorder to one who has found victory through Christ Jesus. And eventually it will be you who will be the one to um, be able to wisely disciple other women who are now where you once were. That's our prayer for you for your future, my friend. And uh, so th those are my thoughts on it. Um, again, not not having that biblical counseling background. Uh, I wish I did. And I, I think that's something worth pursuing. But uh, but discipleship, yes, um, I think that's going to help tremendously, as well as all the things that Michelle advised you to do. So that was a lot of questions, Michelle. We we had so many more that I, I want to get to. And I, I know that uh, we, we need to do another episode to catch all the ones that we didn't get to this week. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. Don't forget to check out those important links we mentioned in our show notes. And uh, do visit our website, especially the Good News tab at awordfitlyspoken.life for those resources and more. And until next time, remember, if you've got questions, the Bible's got answers to help you walk worthy.